Totally Football Show. Today, another mouth-watering weekend at the Bistro Premier League. It's a hectic joint where Man City ate nothing. Man United showed no appetite. Arsenal starters disappointed. Wolves only wanted second. Everton got just desserts and might need to replace their silver. And Watford lie still at the foot of the table. All of that plus some very tasty cherries in today's Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. listener thanks for joining us brand new week brand new lineup as well we got michael cox author pundit controversialist <laughs> hey james uh, also in skowski fusion experiment <laughs> sasha gurianov who's Mo- fresh back from Stamford bridge actually. morning james in a good mood good yeah i imagine and feeling a little bit super freaky after sunday at the london stadium it's benji lanyado from the stop hammer time podcast hey jimbo hey benji lovely to see you you're, you're uh, hosting Stop Hammer Time now, is that right? Sometimes? No, I stood in. Oh, did you? I stood in, yeah. Who were your guests that day? Chris Akabusi, um, oh. who is a national treasure. An ex-WHU employee. Have you heard of this guy? He is like... He's West, West. Chris oh, yeah, Akabusi? Yeah. No, no, no. no. There's, oh. He's a guy... That's his handle, and he's known guy, as yeah. X. He's, um, oh, that's his name? Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. He, he is he's our sort of prima ITK. Like he, he, he's got sources across the club. I think that he's also their leaker of choice. Right, deep um, throat. He's West Ham's deep throat. That's it, yeah. Do you, do you know his actual name? I know his name. I know wow. his job. His, his job is the reason he can't use his real name. Do you have to disguise his voice when you, when you put the podcast out? No, actually. Hey, listen, he's not, he's not very good at hiding. If you wanted to work out who he, who he was, he probably could. They run events before West Ham games where he hosts them. So. Is he, is he, he's not as good as, say, the secret footballer because nobody knows who he is. <laughs> quite, quite. Wow. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to hearing a lot about West Ham today and, of course, about Liverpool and loads of other stuff too. We're going to begin, though, with the eight-goal thriller of the weekend. Kevin De Bruyne with his first offer, and what an offer it is! And a goal already! 3-0 already, it is Mahrez! For Aguero! Kevin De Bruyne! Well, you would not deny him that! Breathtaking, brilliant De Bruyne! A phenomenal performance from him, and Watford have been blown away in no time. That's right, everybody. City devastating, Watford evaporating. An absolutely wonderful performance from Pep Guardiola's side. 6-0 last time they met in May. It was almost that inside the first 18 minutes this time. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, right from the first minute, City were just absolutely rampant. I thought the it's hard to pick out a player when you score eight goals as being better than everyone else, but I thought De Bruyne was sensational for the mm. second time in a row. I think his display against Tottenham and then this performance are probably the best two individual displays I've seen this season. Obviously, David Silva getting the open of Bernardo with three goals. It was just a little bit embarrassing to watch. And I don't, I don't mean that in a patronising way to, towards Watford, but it was just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of surprised this doesn't happen more. I mean, City have just 
so able to pick out the best players that they want, able to pick off every other Premier League team if they want that. I'm surprised they don't go into a 5-0 lead after 20, 30 minutes more often, to be honest. You've seen this, haven't you, Benji? Opening weekend of the season when they came to London Stadium. Did you 5-0? Yeah, I mean, honestly, performances like this kind of leave me cold. It's like death, really? de- death by good taste, isn't it? I, I, you know, much like the, the documentary, the Amazon documentary, just not interested. Man City are a team of sort of footballing robots. There's no edge in there. There's no real personality. There's no ego. I mean, that's why they're so exceptional. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, think, I think it was the least interesting game of the weekend. Really? Yeah. I, I, I must admit, I found it, it was biblical. It was like something Moses would call down to speed up <laughs> negotiations with the Egyptians. Or something. They just tore, they devastated Watford. I can't remember Sasha. Musa Kwongo on Twitter called this uh, largely unloved acts of annihilation. Right. That's what City do. And I think they could possibly do this every week, but sometimes it's unnecessary because sometimes I've seen teams after two goals clearly wave the white flag. So what's the point? I think in this situation, that there's, there's probably a thing about sending out a message after last week as well. Mm. They did a very similar thing when they had that slump in the winter. And I think after they started annihilating teams, even if they were, I think it was Rotherham 9-0, just to send out the message to everyone, don't mess with us. And I think this was the case here as well. I think at 5-0 after 18 minutes, they could have probably got another 5 in the next 18 minutes. But well, they th- did that try, was, to be fair. They did try. Aguero missed a few, but I think the intensity dropped. I think the way they pounced on the um, Watford areas in those, in those opening 18 minutes was really, really impressive. The fifth goal, Watford players are just watching. They're completely beat. I thought... Um, Alan Shearer was extremely unfair on match of the day when he was saying, oh, why aren't those Watford players closing stuff down? They're 6-7-0 down. And I was just like, well, they're 6-7-0 down, dude. I was just going to say, I wonder if Kike Sanchez-Flores is actually sexier when he's angry and unhappy. I think, I think it's more... I mean, he's a, he's a beautiful thing to look at, isn't he? I, I thought this was potentially a more sultry incarnation. That's certainly a, a big takeaway from the game. City running riot with Sterling and Jesus on the bench, Sani and Laporte out. It is extraordinary. Does it leave you similarly cold, Michael? Or do you regard it and think, oof, here's an iconic Teams of the Decade chapter that I can do in a, <laughs> in a while for, for the Athletic? Because they are playing in a state of excellence that we don't often see. Yeah, I, I don't completely disagree with Benji, but I just I enjoy watching De Bruyne so much when he's in that kind of mood. I mean, the, the first goal was brilliant, not just the cross, which is unstoppable, but the fact he started so deep and it seemed like that was their plan. They struggled to get the ball into good positions really against Norwich and for some of this game, he was almost playing alongside Rodri with Walker playing as the right winger. Mara's coming inside and the combination and rotation of those three players was brilliant. I thought the interesting thing in terms of looking at their intensity and whether it dropped was the sixth goal, where the two silvers really pressed high up in the in the left flank and won the ball close to the corner flag from Firmenia because that's the kind of thing that Guardiola's sides don't usually do. Once they're four or five goals up, they sit back and that's when opponents can have a bit of possession. But City didn't allow Watford that at all. So it was just, yeah, like I say, I think City could do this to more opponents if they really wanted to. I think one thing probably worth mentioning with the sixth goal was just after half-time. I think it probably just came out and went, let us go intense for a bit and then drop off again. De Bruyne certainly didn't drop his intensity. He was, he was looking for a, a goal and then he got it. And what a performance, as you say. Uh, Daniel Story pointing out that the record for assists in a Premier League season is currently 20 by Thierry Henry. De Bruyne already has seven after six matches. I don't like stats like that. I don't what think do it mean? makes sense. Because you can't extrapolate six games over 38 games. Otherwise, Tammy Abraham will break the record for the all-time Premier League top scorer. But it puts it in perspective to have seven already when the most anyone's ever had in a Premier League season is 20. Yeah, it does. Ozil had about 
10 after 12 games a couple of years ago and he dropped short. Look, he's a brilliant assister. He might well break the record, but I can't see the point of talking about it after six games. All right then, Michael. City are away at Preston on Tuesday in the League Cup. How many do you think? Will it be a bit more muted, do you think? It's almost more poor form to beat Preston 8-0 than it is to beat Watford 8-0, isn't Mm. it? So I'm going to go for three. Watford, meanwhile, will be up against high-flying Swansea. Uh, in said competition, what does this? Where does this leave a smouldering Kiki Sanchez Flores and his Watford squad? Do you think, or do you just put that down as Man City and? I, th- I, th- I think I think you know they, they're going to have to try to somehow avoid the psychological damage of this, but they could probably just turn around and say, "Look, we're playing from against an intergalactic team here, and we are unlikely to face anything like that more than once for the rest of the season." Look, ben Foster was laughing about it. Um, and I think that's maybe the only thing you can do. He, he he was talking about how completely in awe of City he was and that it could have been 10, 11, 12. And I think you almost have to take that out. You know, I'm a West Ham fan. We get walloped every now and then. You, you do have to sort of laugh about it, write it off and, and, and crack on. And the, the same goes for Dimitri Fulkier. I presume poor chap. He waited a whole two years to make his Premier League debut. It came against City. He had 34 minutes on. In which they, which time they conceded five goals, he had nine touches and then got hooked without being injured. Statistically, it's up there with the worst ever. Well, it's a strange game to be handed your debut for, isn't it? Mm. Do you not think? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's a bit unfair. I yeah, I completely agree. And then to hook him after that period of time, I think is bad management mm. all round. Fair. I, I don't know about Premier League bad debuts, but uh, there was a similar one in, in Holland uh, last January. Magashan moved from, um, I think, from River Plate. Uh, to uh, was it Ajax, and he got thrown on against um, final the way against Van Persie. They lost six two. Uh, I think after four goals he got he got removed, and now he's on loan. I think at Alaves. Oh, I see, I see. Jonathan Woodgate's the kind of gold standard of bad debut. Is that what you were about to throw? No, Marco Bugas at West Ham. Oh yeah, he came came on oh. away at Old Trafford. Um, Ten minutes later, tackled Gary Neville in the ribs. Uh, and uh, and then got you know straight red and was next spotted in a in a, a caravan in Eindhoven. Um, so yeah, not great. Wow. I once saw, I think it's the fastest ever red card on debut, which was I think it was Arsenal Birmingham City in about 1997. A young lad called Jason Crow comes off the bench for his Arsenal debut. And literally 10 seconds in, the ball's fired into the opposition left wing, and he dives into a tackle and gets a straight red. I can't actually remember him playing again. Wow. I, I think he did, but it was absolutely spectacular first contribution in professional football. What a thing. What a thing. Well, there you go. City, anyway, winning 8-0. We'll check up on the team that remarkably is still ahead of them, Liverpool, after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Michael, not the only eight-goal thriller this week. There was also the big one between Ballam and Royston. Which you went to, is that right? Yeah, the game I was going to go to got postponed, so I just... What w- game was that? I was going to go to Kingstonian, but their game got postponed. So... So I just went to the closest FA Cup. I really like the, the opening rounds of the FA Cup. It's just such good fun. So this is the second qualifying round? Yeah, so there's two more to go before the first round proper. I see. And uh, how did you find this game? There's a great app called Groundhopper. Okay. And wherever you are in the world, you just click Find Me a Game. Right. And it comes up with your nearest game Maybe. I've gone to some absolute rubbish football over the last few years <laughs> have you ever done that abroad does it work abroad yeah yeah I mean you said anywhere in the world so. yeah clearly <laughs> 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 anyway so you alighted on Ballam Royston and that yeah. was where in Ballam uh, not really they kind of play 
off the A3 between Wimbledon and Kingston, I guess. That's a big pitch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Okay. But uh, and Ballam are quite the coming team. Uh, I think they've got four promotions in the last five years or something. Wow. But they're in the ninth tier of English football. They were up against a team in the seventh tier. And Ballam twice went ahead, but eventually lost 5-3. But it was a genuine, like, I think there's a danger of kind of over-romanticizing non-league football in general because there's a lot of dodginess that you find at the upper levels of the game. But the FA Cup is genuinely brilliant at that level. It was just such a good day. Clearly their biggest attendance of the season by miles. How many? Uh, I think about... 250. Okay. Right. And uh, all played in a, a, a park somewhere? For a park with a couple of stands. Brilliant. There was one of the home team players who was being roared on by about, he was clearly a teacher and was being roared on by about 10 members of his class, which oh. I just thought was really sweet. And nice. Um, incidentally, they, they're now in, you think, the ninth tier after four promotions. So they were yeah. in the 13th tier. Probably. How many tiers are there? I think there's officially about 15 or 17 in the, in the actual pyramid. There's lots outside it, of course. Right. Uh, at the other end of the pyramid, Liverpool, top in the Premier League, were at Stamford Bridge taking on Chelsea Sunday afternoon. And Sasha, you were there to witness them claim their 15th straight Premier League victory. It wasn't easy, though. No, it wasn't. And I think they could have put the game to bed earlier, and they didn't. And I have to say that... Um Chelsea, I know they're a team in transition, uh, but they played uh, with a lot of spirit, a lot of heart and after half-time, when I think previously they could have really folded, especially given how the first half panned out. And I think it's the first time I saw Lampard in the press conference after the game. And, I mean, given sort of the communication skills of Conte and Sarri and generally how they were, I think, around the club, you can see why Lampard is liked so much and I think why you know players and fans buy into his project despite perhaps the results not being there. Yeah, OK, it did seem a little bit that Liverpool were the grown-ups on the day and, of course, they took the, the two free kicks very, very well. Um, but I think the way Chelsea kept on asking questions, I think, is very, very commendable. Of course, as uh, Klopp joked after the game, Kante always seems to be fit for Liverpool and, and no one else. Um, but again, he made a huge difference as well. But I think interesting is the way the formation is the same as under Sarri, uh, but it seems to be sort of less involving Jorginho and much more direct than Sarri's was, which I think is something that um, uh, Pedro alluded to in the interview with Miguel Delaney earlier in the week and the way the pressing works. It's just, but it's, it seems to be a little bit more, that bit more proactive than what Sarri was trying to do. And from Liverpool's point of view, again, it's in the end, they're hanging on. It's an ugly win. Um, it's, I think it's a very challenging and enjoyable game for someone like Van Dijk because I think he had, he had a pretty good battle with Abre. Abraham, came out on top. And um, well, did he come up a little bit short when Kante decided to do an Eden Hazard? Well, mm-hmm. uh, that's. I asked uh, Van Alden about the, about this after the game, and he was his response was along the lines: "Yes, sort of. Sometimes it happens that the player moves off one player, and you try to pass it on, and there is no one else covering it. Right. So if you if you actually look at the replay, he goes beyond Fabinho. Fabinho goes, you know, next next person takes over, and Henderson is not switched on enough to take it, and no one steps out of the defence. Right. So he ends up in this pocket of space. Isn't that just a freak, though? How often does N'Golo Kante do, do that? Well, they, they say he doesn't shoot very often, but I think this was a position where N'Golo Kante would be having a shot. I think you saw last season that what I think Kante was never shooting before. He actually started to get into those positions. I remember he scored against um, City, didn't he, last year when they won 2-0, mm-hmm. late arrived. So he, is, he now has this in his locker. I think it's also, also a game in which Tammy Abraham sort of came back down to earth. Um, he, he's, he, he's shown that he can score you know, pretty much every type of goal so far this season, but this is probably the first time he's come up against, you know, or the in the Super Cup up against a high class centre back like Van Dyke, and Van Dyke can defend against pretty much every type of type of striker. Um, also, n- noticeably in that game, found myself thinking 
Trent Alexander-Arnold is probably the best right back in the world, isn't he? The the, the FIFA Pro is is announced today. Um, not sure. I mean, I think people the, the knock against it would be that defensively he might not be the right best right he, back. He, in he the gets world. picked on though. I think I think so, I think I've seen teams basically target him where he just I think ends up with disproportionate amount of work. Right. I think he did he did okay yesterday. Guessing uh, they target him for a reason though. Yeah, because I think that sort of he's less experienced. He can get in behind. Therefore, right. everyone has to support him. But I think in doing that, perhaps teams leave space elsewhere. Right. But Benji, you're suggesting that he, he should. He should be a lock for that right-back slot in the fifth pro best 11. Yeah, so he's up against Cancelo, who's on the bench for City. Um, Alves, who's sort of mm. on the, the tail end mm. of his career. Carvajal, you know, that mm. haven't had a particularly good season. And, and uh, Walker, Kyle Walker. So mm. I think he, he's a shoe in and I, and I think... I think it's fair, I, and, I, and it's it's really exciting as I know, for an English I, player. For one, can't wait to see who gets announced <laughs> for that, and the other ball was at the fifth pro, the best awards tonight in Milan. Um, also, in that game, someone who won't be on that list is, is Pulisic, fifty-four million pounds. Yeah, what happened to him? He's on the bench. There, there is an argument that that Chelsea's transfer ban is slightly saving them from themselves. You know, other than the very notable exception of N'Golo Kante, they've spent half a billion pounds in the last five transfer windows on mostly sort of non-transformative players. You know, including thirty-six million on Bakayoko, thirty-four million on Drinkwater, sixty million on Morata. You, you sort of wonder if Pulisic will fall into that category. It's strange, though, isn't it? He didn't get any minutes in this game, did he? He no, didn't. No. He didn't get he any minutes. He didn't get any minutes because Chelsea had two defenders go off injured in the first half. All right, and then I thought Abraham looked a little bit like he was limping when he went off. Right. I think the second half will give opponents of Liverpool a bit of encouragement. Actually, mm-hmm. I thought Liverpool looked quite unsure of how they were trying to play that. They it didn't look entirely comfortable defending deep on the edge of their own box, although I thought Matip had a very good game. Didn't really offer a single counter-attack from what I can remember in the second half to offer you know a threat going the other way. And they certainly didn't do what, for example, City would do, which would be to keep the ball and kind of suck the life out of the game. So I thought they were quite exposed, actually, and they probably were the better side overall, but had Mount poked that chance in from Alonso's cross, I don't think you would have said it was unfair. Mm. And I think... Liverpool really struggled to... I thought the three-man midfield struggled to defend the kind of width of the pitch. Every time Chelsea switched the ball, particularly to Alonso, who was getting in behind Salah, they really had problems of just dealing with that. I think this this is what they did so... What Lampard did so smartly, especially in the second half, by getting Aspilicueta was getting a lot of space in the, in the second half, and through those switches, and actually, this is actually something that Klopp loves Liverpool to do as well. But I think in this situation, perhaps Lampard got slightly in ahead of him on that. Um, I thought Aspilicueta was extremely unlucky just overall well, yeah. in the game. Um, Has it, had it not been for Skynet over at Stockton Park, <laughs> they, they, they would have it would have been a well, but it could it, well have been a two-two draw. I, I think it's not just that. I think it's so he had I think a really good battle against uh, Mane in the first half. Off. Then the, the the first free kick, which Trent scores, actually, Aspilicueta stops him, and then Christensen just commits a foul that he doesn't need to commit. And the second goal as well, after the VAR incident, about a minute later, you can see Aspilicueta still wound up. I don't think he has to barge into Van Adam the way he does. Right. It's it. This is something that uh, Daniel Story was mentioning: the fact that teams need to learn how to adjust to the psychological s- switch of momentum when you think you've gone a goal up, and then. Interesting how it wasn't long before Liverpool scored after this. And a similar situation at the King Power yeah. this weekend to Spurs. Exactly. And I think two things happen simultaneously. Is that First of all, the, the, the team that scored and had the goal disallowed are, are deflated. They're gutted. They've just celebrated. You know? and, and secondly, the team that's, that's, um, that hasn't then conceded the goal gets a pick-me-up. So it's, it's kind of unsurprising. 
disallow goals change games. <laughs> but perhaps disproportionately. I think they do. Mm. They do. But when they're disallowed by VAR, is that even more of a? Do you get even more of a sense of burning injustice, particularly if you're your Spurs and it's essentially Sun Youngmin's um, armpit or something? And that's. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean the, the that call. I think it's a hard one for for a lot of people to, to stomach. Certainly a lot of. Uh, listeners writing in, like you, Dave Collier, VAR is a bit rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> Tim Handley, VAR is a solution looking for a problem. What's the fans' best option for having this abhorrent cancer purged from our sport? How do we kill VAR? It's just Tim Handley. I've got a slightly unromantic perspective on, on, on VAR. Um, whether we like it or not, football is a, is a multi-billion pound industry. And I think that we'd all argue that in other multi-billion pound industries that if, if uh, rules are broken, yeah. then you know, they should be called out and corrected as much as possible. In the worst case, when fraud happens, right. it, should be, it should be called out, it should be punished. And, and three points in a game can have multi-million pound implications. Yeah, but it's not an industry. It's an entertainment. It's a spectacle. So if you were to say stop a movie when somebody does their line a bit duff, I mean, I know they do that, but then they edit it. So, okay, if you're going to have VAR, only show the game afterwards once you've, you've chopped out the three minutes. I, I, th- I think perhaps the most irritating thing about VAR at the moment is, again, there's humans interpreting what they're seeing on the video. Right. And, and the, that interpretation is what I think annoys people. Because, I mean, for example, last week, I think it was Matip got garroted by Lascelles uh, against Newcastle, and that wasn't given yet. Quite a marginal the penalty call for uh, on Robertson against Napoli, yeah. and it, so it's it just. I think it feels to a lot of observers that it's in- inconsistent between competitions, maybe within the same competitions. Well, some people say consistency is exactly what it brings, but I mean, you touch on it there. The fact that when it is that much mm. of a tight call on, say, Son's offside, can you be sure that it's that frame or the next frame when the ball is kicked? You know what? I, uh, I personally am not a fan. I don't know. It did feel that this was a weekend that marked a little bit of a movement towards the, yeah, I'm not sure if this is worth all the hassle from observers. I'm not sure what your feelings are, but... Uh, I hate it. You hate it. I, I, don't, li- I don't like it at all. I right. think, I think it's, it's had a negative impact on football. But Do you think we will end up getting rid of it, Benji? I don't know. I think that if, you're ex- if you accept that the game that is being played has rules and you've got a way of double-checking that those rules are being followed, you've kind of got to go with it. I always think about the Thierry Henry... Handball, you know, that deprived Ireland of a World Cup. If, if, if these mistakes are correctable, uh, I Yeah, think we, we would should. have an Ireland at the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I think they also need to work on a concept of umpire's call. They, so, they somehow need to work out what is the margin of error that's acceptable. Right. Anyway. Just, just one last stat on that. There's been 10 interventions uh, regarding goals this season. It's taken away nine goals mm. and only one goal has come from it, which was uh, the Declan Rice encroachment and the retake of penalty. So you can understand why people don't like it because it's taking away goals rather than adding to it. And there were a couple of penalty instances this season. Oh, sorry, this weekend where it should have intervened. It feels like they are being very lax with penalties, but obviously because they have to be with offsides, yeah. they're incredibly stringent. And I've seen a suggestion that Liverpool have adjusted their defensive tactics because of VAR, that they play a higher line now because they're so confident that any infraction will be picked up. Is that right, Sash? Oh, yes. I mean, that, that's what they were saying earlier in the season. And as you could see with the Mount incident, perhaps that's, that, that was the tight call. They got on the offside. I think with certain players, it's going to accelerate the decline of their careers. You look at someone like, like David Luiz. You know, he's a, he's a pre-VAR defender who's a master fouler. Uh, and, but he's always been brilliant at getting away with it. Actually, you know what? I think it might be affecting uh, players quite a lot as well because I was watching Abraham yesterday 
trying to understand whether he should be or should not be on the offside. And I'm not sure whether he was just generally unsure because of the high Liverpool line or whether he was trying to judge how much he can move forward because of the VAR. I don't know. There was about, I think, five or six times where he was making runs, he was stopping, he was making runs. I've never really seen a striker that obviously unsure about the, about the defensive line he's facing. It so, worked, though. He got in behind for that chance. Yeah, that, that's true. Which I, th- I keep on thinking, should Adrian have come for that or not? Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Just to Michael's point about it being a, something that's taken goals away, I think that is very different to how it was applied, for example, in the World Cup. There was a penalty in almost every game in the World Cup because those decisions were being made. We are not applying it in the same way as it was applied in the World Cup, that's for sure. Well, anyway, Spurs, another side that saw uh, their game turned around partly by the intervention of VAR. We'll talk about them after this. Oh, Mondays. In terms of popularity, they're up there with Brussels sprouts, dental surgery and Neymar, aren't they? But at Paddy Power, we wanted to do something to make Mondays a bit less Monday. So now Mondays are Money Back Mondays, when we get you, the punters, to nominate your lost football bet on Twitter, using the hashtag Money Back Mondays, to vote in our Monday Twitter poll, and then we refund on the most popular market as a free bet. Paddy Power, home of the Money Back Special. T's and C's apply. No max stake. Refund will be as a free bet. Does not apply to shop bets. 18plusbgamblerware.org On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Just on the subject of Liverpool, that spying story is a curious one. Have you seen this? That it's just been revealed that back in 2013, they had to make a £1 million payment to Man City after it turned out that a bunch of scouts former Man City scouts that they Liverpool had hired had continued to log on to their scouting network. City became suspicious when they, they found that Liverpool kept going after players that they previously <laughs> Not very good ones. Up. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Has anyone used an old login? No, but it made me laugh that this was kind of reported as a hacking thing. I always think hacking yeah. has to be a bit more sophisticated than just remembering your password. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the way it's, it was reported, you think, wow, oh, it's actually someone, yeah, password. It's not exactly Marcelo Bielsa with a spanner at the training ground, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, let's move on then to Leicester Spurs. Uh, how much did you enjoy Harry Kane's goal? Yeah, I did for two completely different reasons. One, because it was an incredibly good finish in a situation where I just wasn't expecting the ball to go in the net. I thought it was going to be ballooned massively over. And secondly, I just enjoyed the build-up because Spurs were playing this diamond and I thought, you know, Lamella between the lines, a lot of people aren't sure about him in the number 10 role, but it was perfect. It was the number 10 playing an incisive pass, the second striker making a run and a lovely little back heel and Kane with the clinical finishing. So, wonderful goal. It was an entirely intention, I think, by the looks of it. This, this, this is how Spurs used to play in big patches last season. Uh, this sort of interaction between the attacking players, which mm. I don't I think we haven't really seen much this season when they've been a lot more stodgy, if you like. But this was this was like Spurs and Floor. I mean, this is Pochettino Spurs in that moment. So that put them 1-0 up, and they thought they were 2-0 up, but then it turned out that Son had been on the line, and then James Madison, fresh from enraging tabloid hacks, and then slamming said tabloid hacks uh, on social media, um, scored a wonderful goal. It's, that's... His first of the season, isn't it? His first of the season, yeah. I was quite critical of Madison last week on mm. this very podcast because I think his decision-making is quite poor. And obviously I'm made to look a fool by a goal like that. But it was his first goal in 31 shots. And I think he does do that quite a lot, Madison. And just some of those situations I don't think he needs to be shooting from. But, you know, technically he is brilliant. That was a kind of almost a David Beckham-esque goal, wasn't yeah. it? And Michael's not wrong. He, he, last year he, he made 100 key passes in, in, in the Premier League. He's not even in the top... 25 I don't think this year so he's not actually had a brilliant season so far by his own standards but he was 
excellent on, on Saturday. And I think he mentioned in the post-game interview that he, he, he had been leading the category of most shots without scoring. So that kind of backs up what you were saying. How do you spend six and a half thousand pounds on a backpack though <laughs> on that backpack as well, <laughs> well the, the thing is look it, it looks garish it stands out it's got a label on it you know why not fair uh matt giles uh, at booth daddy says why are spurs rubbish now well i mean there's something a bit funny at spurs at the moment i i, I do also think that we have to start asking whether pochettino is, is part of the problem um, I think he's, he's, he's almost actively encouraged this narrative that we're supposed to feel sorry for him. And it felt like he was slightly indulging in, in the transfer melodrama toward, towards the end of the summer. Um, but it's a, you know, the fact that he hasn't been, you know, the, the idea that he hasn't been backed, a bit of a myth. You know, they spent £80 million on Ndombele and Sessegnon, both exactly the kind of squad padding players that they needed. They didn't lose any of their players. They got Lacelso on loan. So I don't really see what, what the problem is. You know, maybe it is starting to, you know, time to start asking that question. Yeah, because actually I was looking at the lineup midweek and. It's six changes uh, for the Leicester game. It's Ali Eriksen, Lucas Moura, basically all stepped out. Davis mm. Sanchez, the fullbacks, and Luis' wife was giving birth. So there does seem to be more depth in it. But then at the same time, what, what, what's wrong with Ali? Eriksen's usage in and out of the squad. And he was really, really poor, I thought, midweek. Um, and also, um, how do Spurs approach their away games? I mean, the, the last win was at Fulham, who got relegated. And in they were, January. In January. They were lucky to win that day because basically Sergio Rico doesn't come for crosses and Winks stole in. I think it was an injury time. So, And is it, uh, is it the paucity of ideas? Uh, is it the thing that people are talking about? You need to shake up a squad and uh, maybe ship some of the players out that have been there, not just add players. And it's, um, But just, just overall, um, they were free-flowing at the start and they kind of wilted. Uh, I think Leicester also became more aggressive and I don't think they liked, they liked it up them basically in the second half. Mm. Um, and yeah, Madison, Madison was excellent. Harvey Barnes was also really oh, good. Yeah. Um, but I think Chilwell and Pereira behind Robertson and Alexander-Arnold are probably the next best set of fullbacks in the league. Other than Liverpool, I think they'd probably get into every side, you know, maybe bar Wan-Bissaka. Um, they were superb and they are pretty much every week. And Soyuncu was, uh, was uh, impressive. <laughs> Michael? Yeah, he was. I think he does. I think some of his defending is slightly unnecessary. Right. I think if there's a ball, he has to go for it every time. Is he a bit flamboyant? No, he's just a a little bit. For a centre-back, a little bit OTT for me. But he did have a very good game. I think it's a situation where he just wants to be involved in everything. And I think he just needs to grow up a bit and stand off sometimes. If you go back to the Tottenham goal, Mm. about 20 seconds beforehand, he did this ridiculous volleyed clearance on the halfway line that was just bizarre. I'm more of a I'm more of a Johnny Evans man when it comes. Yeah, to he's a fa- yeah. Right. So he's a fans defender. Mm-hmm. You know, they, he's already got a couple of chants. Like the, Le- the Leicester fans love him, especially because he's filled that Maguire-shaped hole. Well, speaking of Harry Maguire, Benji, let's turn our thoughts to what happened in East London early on Sunday. What have we made of Manchester United though today, Roy? Well, I tell you, I don't know where to start. I have to say, I'm um, shocked and saddened how bad they were today. Anderson, Yarmolenko. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be looking for positives right now, Jose. Can you find any for him? No. I can't find It is take two for Aaron Cresswell. And he's on target magnificently! We were bad last season, but uh, I don't see any, any improvement this season. Benji, the hammer, the hammer came down on Man United Sunday. Yeah, it's worth saying first that United stank. 
Oh, really? I was going to do the nice bit about West Ham. Well, we'll yeah. do that in a minute, but it was it was striking. You know, I've, I've seen Man United teams come to West Ham for, for 25 years. This yeah. was the, 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 the worst I've ever seen. And they were, really? You know, prof- the worst. Profoundly mediocre. You look at some of the players, Lindelof, Young, Matic, McTominay, Pereira, Gomez, Lingard, Fred. I've never seen a United team with so much meh. In it, and I think right. if, if you were to take the two 11s at the beginning of the day and choose, you know, what you know, one player in each position, there'd probably be more West Ham players, and th- and that's also because West Ham's team is probably the best we've had in years, okay. may- maybe ever, right? Especially up top, because we've got completely different types of uh, of danger. Anderson has got his real pace and energy. Yarmolenko is probably harder to understand, but again, he's different. He's quite tall for a winger. He's got great feet, a great shot. Yesterday's best performance for West Ham, I think. Um, and he wouldn't actually be there if Antonio was fit, who again is something completely different. He's incredibly physical. We missed Lanzini yesterday. Lanzini's another type of player um, who, who's, who's very hard to dispossess. He turns brilliantly. And then there's Allaire. Um, Michael, I know you're a big fan, and actually, I think you can you can tell the story of West Ham's recent progress okay. through through a tale of, of three strikers. We bought Chicharito when he was sort of on his way down. We bought Arnautovic when he was kind of at his peak, and I think with Allaire, we've got a player who is very much on his way up. He mm. he can do everything, and he's incredibly intelligent. He brings mm. players in around him. So yeah, we're in good shape. You're in fifth place, goal difference off third, and the way the season started, I bet that's come as a surprise. Yeah, although I think comparing it to where we were last year, which is what they did on Match of the Day, is, is kind of arbitrary because completely different fixtures. We had a really tough start last year. Uh, uh, listeners of the Stop Hammer Time podcast will mm. be familiar with the uh, the Uncle Jeff coefficient which um, compares the exact same games from this year and last year. We're actually only on plus one compared to the same games last year. So, yes, a good start, but, you know, let's not get you know, carried away. I think intelligence is important. You should mention that because um, this is actually one thing that also stands for, for Yarmolinka. Because if you actually look at the build-up for the first goal, he goes down the wing, ends up offside, and kind of goes back into the position right where the United there is a gap in the United defence to receive the ball and score. And the United players are completely oblivious. De Gea doesn't give them the call. And I think this, this is what he brings. He's, he, he's a smart guy. And with Allaire as well, you remember there was that famous stat for however many years, um, the, uh, the strikers that West Ham kept on signing were one in five strikers. So now if they have a real forward, you actually have a chance of doing something. And we spent forty million pounds on him. You know, you sort of that's, that's, that's what you hope for. I think, but you know, you look a- across the Premier League, Everton keep spending like twenty-five million pounds on gambles. You know, like Moisekin is raw. There's a gamble. Chenk Tosin is a gamble. They both ended up up front at the weekend. That's fifty million pounds of gambles rather than maybe one Sebastian Allaire. You you described Yamalenko. Is that right? Yarmolenko, yeah. Yarmolenko. As hard to understand. And I, I, do you mean tactically or, or what? Well, he's just a strange shape for a winger, isn't he? And he, he, um, he does the same thing over and over again. He sort of cuts in and cuts back. Um, and I think his quality depends on how fit he is because the, the pace at which he cuts in and cuts back. You know, United were scared of him yesterday. Mm. And that is, you know, is as much an indictment of, of United as it is you know, talking to, to Yarmolenko's uh, progress. Well, speaking of United, Duncan Alexander saying could be time for another training session at the Cliff. Uh, training sessions actually... Possibly an issue for them because, again, uh, muscle injuries, uh, Marcus Rashford going down in the second half of this game, uh, leaving them. Who was up front for United after that? Played Lingard up front, really. Right. Having sold... Who Lu- dreams of a one-in-five scoring ratio. Yeah. I mean, they sold, they sold Lukaku and Sanchez and didn't get anyone else in. Right. And Martial's out with a muscle injury. And some suggestions that 
that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's uh, intense training routine, which he, he threatened the players with after previous shaky results, might be behind this. I, I, th- I thought Rashford looked really useful going wide, and then, but that was no centre-forward. Just absurd. So I say one one small bright spark for United was um, Dan James. I thought he looked really really good. He's obviously incredibly rapid, but he he seems to make the right decisions as well. So maybe one small crumb of comfort. All right, Abu Amino wants to know. My question for the pod is: Can anyone confirm if that video is true or not? The video of Phil Jones um, apparently singing along with the sacked in the morning chants, and Ed Woodward turning around and telling him to stop because we're on camera. He certainly says stop. Are you able to lip-read the rest, Michael? Can't lip-read, no. Sasha? Once they put what he said in, yeah, it kind of makes it, sense. It makes <laughs> sense. But then, yeah. Can I just say something in general about the game? Please. I thought the damning thing was I didn't think West Ham were very good. No, I right. really like West Ham this season, but I thought Haller would give his centre-backs a real good game. Didn't see that much of him. I thought the three behind were okay, not mm. on their best form. And... and they were the better side. I mean, like, I know football doesn't work like this, but if I could award them points after the game, I'd give West Ham one point. For, they deserved a draw, <laughs> right. and United deserved nothing. It was a terrible quality game. Um, and United, aside from a bit of spark from matter after half-time, like you say, Daniel James, just couldn't see what the plan was. I mm. mean, that was... Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. It was as bad as I've seen United, really. I mean, they were just so lacking in any excitement or spark whatsoever. It was so bad to watch. Have we reached the kind of uh, as bad as anything under Van Gaal or Moyes? Are we at that point? Def- yeah, Benji's saying yes. Definitely. I'm not entirely sure it's all Solskjaer's fault because, the you know, at least with with Van Gaal, you, you know, or I can't remember when it was they had Zlatan, but there, there were some high-quality players in there, really top-door players who, on their day, hmm. you know can change a game. I'm not sure anybody in that team can change a game. Um, you know, with the, the exception maybe of, a, of of Rashford on form or, or Dan James if he's really firing. Right. I think the only positives have been the new signings. Maguire's been solid enough. Wan-Bissaka looked great again. Daniel James has been really good. But even that you can turn it into negative because mm. they're like, well, these are the players that haven't been infected with the <laughs> Manchester United disease. Listeners, it's time to talk about shaving. It's time to talk about Harry's. Just because I've been rocking a beard since the mid-90s doesn't mean I don't need to get my shave on. My neck and upper cheek always need attention. The good news is Harry's Cucumber and Aloe Shave Gel lathers into a luxurious foam, allowing their precision-engineered blades to glide across your face, making you look smooth and handsome. What's more, Harry's razors have a non-slip handle with a textured grip, more Alison Becker, say, than Loris Carrius. So if you're fed up with overpriced razors, why not get yourself a Harry's trial set sent right to your door for just £3.95? It's got everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. That aforementioned handle in your choice of blue, orange or green, a five-blade razor cartridge with a lubricating strip, a trimmer blade, that rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. All you have to do is head to harrys.com slash totallyfootball. That's harrys.com slash totallyfootball. Arsenal. Again, this weekend came up with one good half of football. This time it was enough, though, as they roared back with only 10 men uh, from 2-1 down to a 3-2 victory against Aston Villa. Maitland-Niles exiting because of, well, his red card and also because it looks like, has he done his ankle? 
yeah, it was just a awful moment because he was clearly fouling. Right. Um, and I don't know whether he was trying to change his mind midair, but yeah, injuring himself like that. Mm. I thought that was one of those ones where you try and pretend you're injured to stave off the second yeah, yellow. Right. He took it that but, step too yeah, far. Yeah, but you know, once you've started, you've Committed. got to see it through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's that, yeah. Uh, but uh, second half substitutions of uh, Lucas Torreira and Joe Willock make a big difference here. Yeah, and also Callum Chambers, who they brought on right. to uh, to fill in the right back slot. I was disappointed with Villa. You know, they're a good footballing side. They've got good midfielders. They were in a good position here. One goal up, one man up. And I thought they looked very meek and, and basically just defenders and allowed lots of pressure that eventually resulted in them conceding three goals. I was, I do wonder whether Villa will, will regret that. I know it's not a game where they would have been expected to take points from, but that was a good, a good situation to waste. Absolutely. Could you say that it's perhaps beyond Engels? Because, I mean, certainly left his mark on the second half and his issues with decision-making under pressure manifesting themselves in two really needless fouls. I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's unfair to just blame it on him, but the penalty, he doesn't need to foul. Mm. Uh, he gets under pressure for, uh, I think, yeah, for, for the goal that led to the free kick as well. He doesn't need to foul there either. Um, but maybe also with the Villas, that situation where you play against, suddenly you play against 10. They were really good against 11. Mm. Suddenly against 10, you just, you're not sure which way to go here. Sasha, by the way, I spotted the, the Mark Singles manifest in there if, if no one else did by the way thanks, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, a quick note on, on Guendouzi um, read a line from James McNicholas in the, in the Athletic um, beginning of the season said, said it already feels like it's a matter of time but until this is Guendouzi's team and I think yesterday you, you could see a bit of that you know for years Arsenal have looked like soft touches they look like a team that crumble they can be bullied they don't have any leaders and, and Guendouzi looks like he might be the antithesis of all of that they're trying to work out who their five captains are, are going to be why not just give it to him right well that's an, that's a shout that, I mean, statistically there's a fair chance that at least <laughs> yeah. one of them will be Arsenal who uh, since we last spoke had a resounding win away at Eintracht Frankfurt this was a Big victory with uh, far from a first choice lineup as well. It was a hilariously open game. I don't was think, it? I, don't I think didn't I, see it. Yeah, myself. it was just. I mean, there could have been about seven goals in the game. It was bizarre, but Arsenal looked very good, and and uh, Saka was excellent. It was nice to see him get a start here. Shame he had to get substituted because of the red card. Although I think it was the right move. So yeah, it was. Arsenal are a very strange team. I, I'm almost reluctant to give them too much credit for this game because it was just a. I thought it was Villa really throwing it away. Are they, are they Arsenal a little bit too emotional? Because I've just got this image of Socrates after they messed up the the, uh, the goal kick last week, mm. almost in tears. This time, after they messed up a goal kick, it was Ginduzi looking like Ginduzi he was nearly in tears. continually looked like he, he was. was almost in tears yeah. the entire game. Um, and it's just, may, maybe this is the translation of the overall lack of control. And it not, they, they don't feel like they're in control of the game, even the players on the pitch. Interesting um, time, Sash. But, uh, oh yeah, and also there's the VAR. <laughs> the VAR. What, not is, giving the, the uh, yeah, Socrates, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and that would have changed. That would have changed the result. Well, and I think, yeah, yeah. The um, Villa, I think, were a bit disappointing, but McGinn again was excellent. And I think McGinn is this really rare combination of of um, industry and culture. Hmm. You know, he 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 covers a huge amount of the pitch. He's tough. He throws himself into tackles, um, and he's also got fantastic technique and a lovely left foot. Actually, very few players have got that combination of uh, of aggression and quality. And you're talking about players like Scholes and Gerrard. You know, um, so I wonder if all this attention on Grealish has been sort of hiding the fact that McGinn is the diamond at Aston Villa. That's an interesting shout, Benji. I think a lot of people are feeling that way about Aston Villa. Fellow promoted side Sheffield United are up to 10th place after their 2-0 win at Goodison Park. 
Chris Wilder, the manager, was all smiles afterwards. That was possibly the worst we played all season, said Chris. With the ball, it's as poor as we've been. We turned it over cheaply and made poor decisions. We didn't have any control. I won't con the punters. Uh, apparently, Phil Jagielka had to calm him down in the in the dressing room, saying, "Careful, we've just won at Everton." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he says, uh, "I don't mean to be overcritical. It's just the Marty Ars Yorkshireman in me." Fair. I mean, that they were a little bit back to the wall in this game, but a whopping win. And, and what Chris Wilder would make of Everton, uh, I struggle to think. Yeah, it was a funny game. Everton had lots of pressure, didn't really create any clear-cut chances. I think there's some big question marks now about how they're formatting their attack. I think there's increasingly a sense that Sigurdsson, for all his mo- his, his occasional moments of brilliance with long-range goals and set-pieces, actually doesn't do that much in open play. I don't think he's great at creating chances. I don't think he's great at knitting the play together. Um, and I would like to see them use Alex Awobi more. He was on the bench for this. I think he's a hugely underappreciated and slightly misunderstood player who could be exactly what Everton need in just getting passing combinations going. He won't give you many goals and assists, but I think he makes others play better. All right, there were boos at the final whistle. There was also some graffiti last week at Goodison, uh, some silver out graffiti, and uh, you know, therefore talk of writing being on the wall literally in that, Sasha. <laughs> I think one of the, also another big problem that Everton have they not they don't seem to deal with adversity particularly well. So they go a goal down. Still very much should be in the game, and the Charleston should probably equalize straight away. And second half they just wilt. Mm. Uh, the the heads completely drop. I think there was a stat that they've never come from behind to win no. on the silver. Um, and if if it becomes a mentality issue, I think it's much much harder than changing formations. Also, Everton fans I speak to, I, mean, I echo your point um, about Sigurdsson. They can see. He's a really, really good player in there. But th- again, for him to be the fulcrum of a dynamic team doesn't quite fit. And by the way, I, I disagree with Chris Wilder. I thought they were great. Oh, I, thought, yeah. I thought they executed a plan, you know, almost to perfection. They, they Lundstrom with the assist of the, of the weekend. Yeah. Oh, Kevin De Bruyne is magnificent <laughs> why, is well. why is Pickford coming for that? Pickford shouldn't come mm-hmm. for that. I think it's a Pickford, two Pickford mistakes. Mm. The, anyway, the, sorry. Sorry, say that John Egan who I've got to admit, I didn't know much about before before I saw this game, um, playing for Gillingham three years ago. Generally one of the best, I think maybe the best centre-back performance that I've seen this year in the Premier League. Um, I think Everton had 30 crosses, 12 corners, and only managed one shot on target. And Egan, it was like one of those sort of Shane Duffy performances where he's a complete brick wall, nothing's getting past him. Um, yeah, very enjoyable. Well, another thing, uh, remarkably British team, but I'm surprised to find that they're not the most English team uh, that played at the Burnley? weekend. Uh, yeah, Burnley had seven and then it went up to eight Englishmen, whereas they, these guys only had five and right. five more on the bench. Stat about, oh, sorry, Mike. No, I just say I've been really impressed by Lundstrom. I was at the game on the opening day against Bournemouth and he played a few of those really good passes. I, I must admit, I wasn't aware of him beforehand, so I did some very in-depth research on Wikipedia mm. and found that his a few years ago, his sister was in uh, a Liverpool-based equivalent of Geordie Shaw. Can you guess what it was called? So this is Liverpool-based. It was it, it. The clue is, I think it only involved female characters. Liverpool-based. Liver I, birds. Ooh, good. No, that's quite nice. Should have been. I mean, that was a show. That was it. Um, Sisters of Mercy. No, I quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. Any guesses? Desperate Scouse Wives. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> That's, how, how is that not 
still syndicated? Uh, I, you'll have to watch the episodes yourself to find out. I see. Okay. What was that on, by the way? I think it was E4. Right. Desperate Scouse Wives. And his sister is from Liverpool? Uh, yeah, he's from Liverpool. He's actually, uh, he came through the Everton system, so he will have enjoyed right. this goal, but I think he's a Liverpool fan. Okay. Everton, by the way, have conceded at least two goals in their last five matches. At least two in their last five matches now. Who are they playing next weekend? Man City. Rest of the Premier League, listener. Started Friday night with a big win for Bournemouth, beating Saints away for the first time ever. Pretty entertaining. Uh, it was as well. Two goals up at half-time through Nathan Aki's header and that lovely move finished off by Harry Wilson, who's on a bit of a roll. That's three and five. Bournemouth, I mean, this is definitely going to last, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's no question about that. Uh, excellent stuff from them. Uh, it, it also Having Friday Night Football also meant that we've had Premier League teams involved in football games for nine days in a row. Is that right? Since the return after the international break, yeah. Remarkable. Burnley took last weekend's big winners, Norwich, and handed them a 2-0 victory. Both goals by Chris Wood in the space of four minutes. Norwich, well, I mean, injuries catching up with them. Is that the story there? Yeah, I thought Burnley for the second weekend in a row started really well, pressed high up the pitch, and yeah, they look quite dominant here. I mean, had a penalty shout, which I'm disappointed wasn't given because I would have liked to have seen Wood just given the, the penalty. I always like it when a player gets given a penalty for a hat-trick. But yeah, Burnley look quite good. I mean, I, every year people tip them to go down, but I just think they're so well organised. They don't mm. have the most spectacular players, but they do carry out that system so effectively. Having said that, Pookie, one-on-one at nil-nil. Uh, very good save by Pope. Fair. Uh, Newcastle Brighton was nil-nil. Newcastle, a lot of empty seats at St James's and a lot of boos at the final whistle. Remarkable stats about their possession. Uh, across the six games so far, they averaged 33%. Incredible, no? Or, or, or not? They, they, they did get a cheer when Andy Carroll came on. I, w- I watched this game and, and honestly, you? watching Newcastle is like watching the, the ghost of football's past. They every the centre backs of the goalie hoofs it up to you know first Sholinton and then Carroll and they lose the ball and then you know Brighton keep the ball for about five minutes you know they're they're they're, they're the opposite right. um, in many ways and and then uh, Newcastle get it back and starts all over again it was awful but I mean if you look at from Newcastle's point of view you play five at the back at home against Brighton twenty nine percent possession I mean maybe there was part of it was boycott on the seats but who would want to watch that fair enough I just quite enjoyed the game. Because it was so bad for the first half. <laughs> and it was quite bad for the first 15 minutes of the second half. Right. And I was like, I really want something from this game. And then I thought the last 30 minutes were brilliant. Okay. There was some really good passing from Brighton. The lad Connolly had that dink over the goalkeeper that Cher produced the it's best amazing. goal on oh, yeah. yeah, season. And I really like Alan San Maximan. He was who, great. Who just like, <laughs> his end product is dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> but he just surges past players yeah. like they're not there. I just But he's another Almiron. That's the funny yeah. part about it. Oh, he came <laughs> off for Almiron, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. this is but this is the big issue. They would counter attack with two players against the Mastiff. I mean what what is what are they expected to do? I think Bruce is aging them, I'm afraid. He, he seems like a nice guy, Steve Bruce, but he is he's very you know, he, he doesn't feel like the future of football. Whereas um, Graham Potter really does feel like you know something quite mm. special is happening at Brighton. You know what? We're six games in, and they are a different team, a completely different team to to Chris Hewson's. Certainly are. Meanwhile, Wolves managed by Morpheus uh, got a one-one draw. What a finale this was away at uh, Selhurst Park. 
Uh, Zaha was kind of heading towards the corner flag. Cody robs the ball. And literally, last kick of the game, Jota, uh, with only his first or his second goal of the season, um, earns them a point. Wolves had lost three straight going into this, including their Europa League clash at home to Braga on Thursday. They should have lost this. They should have so lost this. Right. Uh, Christian Benteke, one-on-one, 10 minutes to go, fluffs his lines again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his performance the decline. The decline. Um, mm. There was actually, I was going to mention, Benji, since you were here, um, January 2016, uh, Liverpool came to uh, Upton Park and lost 2-0. Firmino and Benteke were up top. And no, like, they just could not play together. It was obvious. Mm. And clearly, Klopp decided, like, I'm, keep, I'm keeping Firmino, Benteke, bye. I think Benteke started maybe two games after that. And that was it. Now that was him gone. And Did looking at this, I mean... Oh, he's been bad for so long. Yeah. I mean, since Villa, is that fair? Probably, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I mean... It's astonishing that he's still... I mean, it's, it's heartening in a way, but it is remarkable that he's still plying his trade as, as a centre-forward because he's so relentlessly ineffective yeah just, just relentlessly bad um, but I put poor old Wilf Saha is again right. the most fouled player in the Premier League he's he's been fouled 13 times in the last two games is that right it's actually in I've, two games in yeah. two games I actually I feel really sorry for players like that and Grealish is another one that gets hacked every game because often they get accused of being in poor form well if you're just getting kicked the whole time um, another note from this as well I thought um, I think it looks like um, Spirito Santo is putting more faith in Adama Traore who's got I think a couple of assists this year mm-hmm. now, always the accusation was that you know this guy is absolutely lightning and, and, and built like a tank but doesn't do anything is he maybe starting to deliver? I'm not sure. It looks like he might. I think he's absolutely terrible. I, <laughs> I, I think he just lacks basic football intelligence. And I, I think you know, it opened up for him to put the cross in. But I don't think it was a very good cross. Joe Ward should have cleared it. I know it's probably being massively unfair to Traore here. But I think if you are beginning to rely on Traore, I think your project's in trouble. <laughs> wow. So Wolves getting a much-needed point. And that wraps up the Premier League weekend. Very shortly, we'll talk about some other divisions of interest. Sasha got excited about Dudelange out of Luxembourg. And probably Benji will about Dulwich Hamlet and all sorts of other things. Right now, though, over to producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. It's Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line to talk through the odds, as we always do at this time of the show. Lee, let's start, please, with Liverpool and City. City hitting Watford for eight. Liverpool putting in a very, very strong performance. Had to hold on in the end to come away with three points at Stamford Bridge. So, City against Preston in the League Cup. Can they score eight or more there? But I'm not quite so confident about Liverpool taking on MK Dons. Are they going to get knocked out? Blimey, this is going to be a bit like bingo, this one. Man City are 1-16 to to win at Preston. And that doesn't even sound that short now after what they did to Watford on the Saturday. Another 8-0 win, though, is 100-1. to Or you can get a slightly safer bet, 2-1, to that Man City win by four or more goals. And to be honest, it's hard not to fancy that. Liverpool, meanwhile, are a longer price for the win. But they're still huge odds on. They're 1-9. to Their host, the MK Dons, are 14-1. to The draw there, 7-1. to And those two teams are our favourites for the League Cup. Yeah, I know. You knew that already. City 11-4, Liverpool 13-2. Back to the Premier League, a really good result for Burnley there against Norwich. Uh, what are the odds, please, on them finishing in the top 10 this season? <laughs> Burnley are interesting, aren't they? Has a team ever been more readily written off in Premier League history? At least by the odds makers. Oops. Our odds, though, suggest they finish 13th this season. It's 10-3 they break the top 10. 25-1 to they catapult into the top 6. Imagine that. Or three to one, a shorter price than both of those markets, that they get relegated. Harsh. 
And finally, not good at all for Watford, as we mentioned before. 8-0 against Man City. Wolves got a point at Crystal Palace. Are both of them going to go down, though? Yeah, bad weekend for Watford. Exacerbated by the news, I'm sure, that they're finally in our bottom three, having held that position in the real table all season. They're our third favourites to go down now at 6-4. to four. Newcastle, the favourites for the drop at 11-10, to 10, with Aston Villa 7-5. to five. Wolves, though, aren't in that conversation according to our odds. In fact, we put them 10th by our price, which is a lengthy 9-1 to one for Nuno's team to go down. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Now, Benji, uh, FA Cup second qualifying round this weekend and your lot, Dulwich Hamlet... Uh, went up against Bognor Regis and had a 6-1 victory. Wow. Yeah, amazing. I mean, I mean, really, the big story about Dulwich Hamlet is there isn't really a big story around Dulwich Hamlet at the, at the moment. Um, they're back in their ground. They're comfortably mid-table in the National League South, which is, which is one below the conference. Um, they're playing really well. Um, and my, my, my company, Pickfair, we sponsor the pickfair.com for all your that image name again, needs Benji. and solutions. Um, uh, we sponsored them the season they got promoted. Right. Um, and so the next season, they were literally out of our league. We, we, we had this really interesting, funny meeting where um, we knew we couldn't afford to do it again. They wanted to charge a hell of a lot more and felt really guilty about asking us. And actually, they wanted someone else. So we both wanted the same thing from the meeting. We realized that within a few minutes and went to the pub. And then our uh, sponsored by Bulb. Um, which is bulbs, you know, the energy company. It's no. pretty amazing for the sixth tier English football. That's yeah. not bad, is it? And we look, we're plugging bulb now. Anyway, right. yeah, Dulles well, it's Hamlet nice because well. last time, you know, it was very much to be or not to be for yeah, the Hamlet. Quite. And, uh, and now you're. Well, hey! <laughs> <laughs> and now they're all sorted. Yep. Well, that's lovely to hear. Now, the Totally Scottish Football Show on last Friday rounded up uh, Celtic and, uh, and Rangers uh, results in the Europa League. Rangers beating Feyenoord 1 0 at Ibrox. That's a great result. Uh, and a nice tribute to Fernando Rickson at the game as well. Ten-man Celtic uh, got themselves a last-minute equaliser to draw 1-1 in Reims. Uh, anyway, current edition of the Totally Scottish Football Show has details on that. We'll talk probably in the Totally Football Show Tuesday edition, which is very European flavour about the Europa League. I'm sure uh, Arsenal's win we, we've mentioned, but Sash, you were particularly excited about Luxembourg's finest Dudelange. Getting Luxembourg's first win in the Europa League group stage. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s when Luxembourg football, it was their European campaigns about losing one, uh, 10 on aggregate or something like that. And the fact that Dudelange made it to the group stages last year, managed to draw with Betis. This year, uh, they went to Apoel. They were Which one? Apoel, I think it's Nicosia. Nicosia, Nicosia. right. Um, in the same group as Sevilla and Karabakh. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first game... Um, 2-0 up, 3 to down after a horrific mistake from the captain, Jonathan Joubert, who's 40, uh, 16th season at the club. And then Daniel Sinani uh, gets the winner. Uh, he was scoring last season quite freely in the Europa League as well. And in the 92nd minute, um, I think it was the uh, upper left-back, basically tries to lob the keeper from his own half. It bounces over this old man trying to reach back, but he does manage to tip it over and did you lunge win? Heartwarming story. Brilliant. Speaking of tipping over, that Egyptian keeper. Oh, yeah. You've seen the clip. Yeah. Does anyone have any background on that? I've not. I've just seen the clip. I haven't done any You don't, Sasha. No one will. <laughs> it's the kind of clip I don't want any background on it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just enjoy the beauty. Actually, if, if, if I may, uh, also on the Europa League as well, uh, it was an absolutely terrible Thursday night for Russian clubs. Krasnodar went to Basel, lost 5-0. CSK went to Ludogorets and lost 5-1. 
one right. after a uh, brilliant mistake from uh, Akinfei for the first after which they fell apart. And then CSK and Krasnodar played each other in the league. And uh, CSK came out on top, 3-2. Nice goal by Chalov and Markus Berg. I remember him? Yes, uh, yeah. yeah, So he moved to Krasnodar now. Everyone was laughing at him, but he got the two goals. Right. Sash, do you remember Loris Karius? Oh, that guy. Yeah. And thi- oh, and things bouncing over his head. <laughs> yeah. Did You saw this, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For Besiktas against uh, Sla- Slovan Bratislava. Uh, yeah, he comes out for it and basically heads it back into, not entirely into his own goal, but basically heads it behind himself. And they go on to lose 4 2. Yeah. Uh, anything else about the Russian Premier League we should know since you're here, Sasha? It's, uh, it was quite a high scoring weekend for Russians 28 goals in eight matches. Uh, the league is a bit more free scoring this year. Is uh, it? About two and a half goals a game. It was a two. <laughs> I know you laugh, but it was a two for about three seasons. <laughs> I think it's probably due to the tactical approach. I mean, the, the, the standard's probably gone down a bit, but it's, you know, it's overall leveled out. It's nice and competitive. Obviously, not in Europe, as I just, uh, we just discussed. Although, Lokomotive, yeah. They won 3 2 away at Orenburg at the weekend. Barinov, the guy who, who lobbed it back. Uh, after the mistake by the goalkeeper against Leverkusen, he got he got one at the weekend as well. Um, I think j- p- to talking to people, they they, they seem to think that. Uh, there is a move away from three at the, from playing basically three centre backs. Uh, so, for example, at the weekend only three teams played it out of sixteen. So the whole league is becoming a little bit more interesting. Um, okay. So yeah, and uh, I think there is also a big story in the Russian second division where. Sergei Ignashevich, remember him? Mm. The 97-year-old uh, from the World Cup. Um, he's actually taken on his first coaching job with Sapir to Moscow. Um, and he's top of the Russian second division, 12 wins out of 14. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Oh, Vincent Company, by the way, for anyone who's keeping track of that, I think he's on one win in eight now. Oh. Yeah. Is he still injured? I, uh, I mean, I Probably. So, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, we'll have more of that kind of thing. In Tuesday's European edition, as I, as I uh, hinted before, when we'll be joined by Raphael Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo, Julian Laurence, and James Horncastle. But that pretty much wraps it up for this show. Benji, thank you so much for being with us. Anything else you wanted to throw at us before you head off? I, I was going to ask Sasha, as a, as a goalie and a Liverpool fan, what, if he's enjoying Adrian, our beloved Adrian. I'll tell you what, I think Adrian coming in, uh, given that he really didn't have a proper summer's training, uh, getting up to speed, obviously, over the international break as well. I think he's been really, really impressive. You look after him, okay? I will. Uh, I, I certainly enjoy, very much enjoy his performances. Great save yesterday from Abraham. And Wonderful I think, one in Naples. Uh, mm. Yeah, oh, that was absolutely astonishing. And I think, you know, he's he's clearly smart and adaptable enough to not look completely out of place in this Liverpool system, which I think is quite hard for a keeper to fit into. So I, mm. think, um, I think he's doing very, very well as a stand-in. Okay, excellent. Sasha, thank you for coming yeah. by today. And yourself, Michael, as well. When are you next with us? Next Monday, I think. Uh, today was my first Monday show of the season, and I right. must say I've thoroughly enjoyed it. That's great news. Let's hope you have as well, listener. If you did and you'd like more of this kind of thing, uh, be aware that on Thursday we'll have a, a, a big roundup of it on, on, of course, the League Cup action and a look forward to the next round of the Premier League with Duncan Alexander, Daniel Storey and James Horncastle. Be with us for that then. Have yourself a wonderful week in the meantime. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.